Hello, friends. Welcome to the Create Podcast. For those of you who might be new to the Create Podcast, we're so happy that you found us and we hope that you hang around. And Create stands for Community Reclaiming Every Artist's True Expression. And we believe that you are all powerful artists and you all came here for a great and mighty purpose. And we believe that we together as community can help each other unlock that sacred purpose. And so On that tip, we brought you a very special friend. We believe that this person and his wisdom is going to really be a portal of transformation for you to really know and tap into who you came here to be and and how you exactly want to do that. So without further ado, I am going to read a very epic bio. Are we all ready, friends? (laughs) I'm very excited. (laughs) All right. I would like to introduce you all to Dr. Patrick Dentempo. He is the founder and CEO of Action Potential Holdings, Inc. He is often referred to as the philosopher entrepreneur. Do you love that? He is a well-known and respected star in the world of health, wellness, and business. He has keynoted hundreds of presentations around the world. And while practicing as a chiropractor, he co-developed an innovative diagnostic technologies, received patents, built a considerable international business of which he was the CEO for over 20 years, although he does not look old enough for that. Leveraging his applied philosophy approach, he has successfully launched over a dozen companies. He's given testimony to Congress, to the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine. If that was not enough, he is also passionate about the use of philosophy as a practical tool for success achievement and his unique perspectives have captured worldwide attention. You may actually know of him from his incredible TEDx talk, Unleashing the Power of Philosophy, that received spirited accolades. And it's freaking awesome. If you haven't seen it, please go check it out. His views have been published by Forbes and entrepreneurs and business leaders from around the world and have been captivated by his highly celebrated keynote presentations and numerous interviews on popular programs. And as he likes to say, everyone has a philosophy. The only question is whether they know it or not. He is currently living in Park City, Utah with his wife and three kids. And he is here with us today on the Create Podcast. Welcome, Patrick. Patrick, <laughs> thanks for having me. And uh, you know, I, I first of all, I've heard many people read that bio. It's like you know, they should only take a sentence or two. You're the first person where that actually read, it. and I said, "Wow, that's a really good read." I mean, it 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 was like a rote, mon- you know, monotonous uh, line by line, uh, obligatory introduction. It was like you brought it to life a little bit. So thank you for that. Well, it's my pleasure. And if you ever want me to record it for you, I'd be more than happy to. <laughs> uh, so I might take you up on that. It's actually. the actor in me. I like the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, so Patrick, what I just want to dive in. So the reason we wanted to have Patrick at this moment in time, while we're all in quarantine and figuring out life is Patrick has this incredible book called Your Stand is Your Brand. I'm showing it like our audience can see it. I'm doing like a Vanna White situation, but I just feel like I want to show it (laughs) up. Um, And what is so interesting to me is how you take philosophy and business and merge them together. Because with Kristen and I, we we love to merge spiritual or holistic tools with the writing process, the directing process with being an actor. I'm a yoga teacher, so I apply a lot of yogic tradition to my acting technique. But I've never seen anyone do it the way you do it, and specifically with 
like understanding who you are as a person and then using that to create the life you want to create, whether that's business or whatever. So I would love for you to tell us a little about the book and how, how you came to, to be with this book. Uh, so I'm saying very heartened that you're, um, you're, you're assembling these things in your mind the way you are, because, uh, that you, you really did properly characterize the nature of the book, you know, kind of the soul of it, um, which, uh, is important. Uh, and I also want to just start off by saying that, um, uh, I think that artists are the most important people in the world right now. Um, and, and when I say right now, I mean, right now, uh, you know, we're, we're recording this at, at, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and, uh, to me, uh, artists, creatives, people who can think creatively, um, and can imagine things are the people that we need most. And when I talk about, uh, artists, I'm not just talking about people who can paint or draw, cause I'm certainly not somebody that can paint or draw, <laughs> uh, but, um, but I'm talking about people who apply extraordinary creativity to whatever it is they do. Like uh, to give an example of that, um, I don't look at Jimi Hendrix as a guitarist. I look at Jimi Hendrix as a guitarist, I'm sorry, as an artist who played guitar. I don't look at Albert Einstein as a physicist. I look at him as an artist who did physics. So, there, so to me, I, I believe everybody um, has the capacity to be an artist. Um, it's just a matter if they'll, uh, if they'll let that out, if they'll express it. And, and, and I think in large part, this is what the book is really about. Um, the the idea that uh, everybody does have a philosophy, meaning a view of reality and the way that they develop it. Most people don't develop it consciously, so they have this sort of unconscious uh, set of beliefs uh, or philosophical premises that drive their choices and actions. And uh, and when it becomes undefined, it can lead to struggle. The, the fundamental premise being that contradictions in your basic philosophical premises will lead to destruction. The amount of destruction is relative to the level of the contradiction. So philosophy becomes a tool for us to identify uh, first our view of reality, our view of the world, and not only the external reality, the world around you, but internally your view of yourself, which is probably even more important. Uh, so in the book, you know, once I kind of lay out several uh, things around this, I get into a chapter called Finding Your Miles Davis, and uh, which I think speaks to what you were talking about. And so, uh, you know, I tell the story as to how that phrase finding your Miles Davis came up, but Miles Davis um, is you know known in the jazz world, especially as a musician who maybe was the most purely expressed the music inside of him outwardly and how um, it usually came through inspiration. It was purely expressed and it wasn't a guy that worried too much about uh, what other people might think about what he was playing. He had to play him. And uh, so when people can find their Miles Davis and express that in the, in the purest possible way, um, you know, that's when you start to now get into having alignment in your life, meaning who you are and, and how that is translated into what you do in the world. Um, and when there's contradictions between those two things, uh, that leads to a lot of pain, anguish, um, dysfunction, uh, failure, all those kinds of things. So um, I, I, I use a lot of, uh, stories that are real stories uh, in my sharing these concepts in the book so that people can get a sense of what I'm talking about. And it really is quite a journey. The book is very autobiographical because of just the trajectory of my life. I mean, you know, I started life as a chiropractor, you know, some decades ago. And uh, if somebody told me that at this point in my life, my main business activity 
would be making you know, docu- documentary film series, um, I would say, you know, you're, you're, you're crazy. But there's, it's amazing how you can find so many different ways to express what's inside of you and, and all the varying vehicles. But if you don't know your core values, if you don't know your purpose, either as an individual or as a business, then uh, your sustainability and probability for success goes way down. So I, I just basically... Uh, reveal in the book how I go through how I've gone through these these processes and, and practically applied them and you know how they translate into success in my life. Patrick, I found your book so phenomenal because I never heard anyone articulate that it's the tension that's created by the contradictions between your philosophy and then how you're living that's creating that distress in your life. And it got me so excited to be like wait, hold on. What is my philosophy? Like, I know that I have one, but let me like articulate it. Let me figure out what it is. So I love that your book helps a person who's reading it. And I think it's going to be so helpful for artists that way to go, what do I believe? What is my worldview? What are my core values? And then be able to pinpoint where there is tension. That to me was one of those things that I just had never heard anyone articulate. And it kind of blew my mind. And I was curious you mentioned Anne Rand a lot in the book, right? And I'm just curious, where did that, when did you first get that concept of tension and, and contradiction? When did that aha happen for you? So, um, yeah, I, I refer to, to Rand in the book uh, because of, uh, especially early on, her influence. Uh, you know, she is the author that got me really started on the, the trail of philosophy and her intellectual heir who they ended up having a fairly acrimonious split but uh nathaniel brandon was my mentor and nathaniel brandon spent 18 years with ayn rand um and uh so so a lot of my shaping thinking interactions etc is centered around this um you know when we talk about philosophy and uh we especially when we talk about um artists aesthetics is the fifth branch of philosophy. And I, I lay out the five branches of philosophy and kind of the sequence of them in the book. But, uh, but when you talk about artists, as you were just describing, say, you know, as an artist, just, you know, as a, a creative, um, you know, I, I think I even mentioned this in the book, but I say, you know, I don't have to even meet an artist to know what their philosophy is. If I go into a museum and I see a sculpture of a human form, and it's depraved or it's, it's, you know, it, it looks defeated and, and it looks overwhelmed. I don't have to meet that artist to know their view of reality, know their philosophy as compared to if I go into the museum and I see a, um, a human form, broad shoulder, chin up, you know, looking somewhat visionary and, and, and uh, actualized, you know, I don't have to meet that artist either to know what their view of reality is. Or when I go to movies or, you know, when I see a movie or I go to plays and I see a play, you know, I can look at the themes. I can look at, you know, the general sense of life, if you will, that's portrayed through these varying forms of art. And that, that tells me about the, the, the philosophy of the artist, their, their, their point of view, at least it should. And, and if I see art and I'm confused by it, then it tells me you know, the artist is confused. So, um, you know, about, about what they see, what they believe, et cetera. And, and confusion is also part of the human condition many times. Uh, you know, we, we go through a lot of things that can change our philosophy in our life, you know, uh, and, and, and probably should. So, um, but what you spoke to, which I think is uh, really important, especially for people who are at all self-employed or entrepreneurial in what they do, as, as most artists are, um, you'll find that uh, that issue of maximum tension, which I lay out in that first chapter, is 
critical because uh, people get stuck in their life and then they get typically exhausted and depressed and, and they can't identify why this is going on. And uh, so this, this idea of maximum tension is saying, if we look at the different dimensions of your life, your personal life, your financial life, your career, your spiritual life, and you know, all these varying parts of your life. And if, if, if let's say in your personal life, what's driving you, you know, the, the, the values that drive you, which come from your philosophy are pulling you, let's say East. And then in your career, those values that are driving you are, are pulling you to the West. After a period of time, you'll get to a point where I call maximum tension where you're getting pulled in opposite directions equally as hard. And this is, this to me was a major breakthrough. And, uh, and, and fortunately for the book, I was able to test all these concepts, you know, uh, on live audiences and seeing what the impact is. So I knew, you know, how I could translate this and say, okay, I know this is something that has changed thousands of people's lives. Let me put it in the book. So with maximum tension, that was one of them that people recognized almost immediately as I had opened my lectures with that, that particular um, understanding because I say, you know, I would look at an audience and I'd say, okay, how many people here um, know something you could be doing that you're currently not doing that would make your life somehow better. And everybody raised their hands and anybody doesn't raise their hand. Incidentally, they're lying. We all know things right now. As we sit here, as you're listening to my voice, you know, something you could be doing that you're currently not doing that would make your life or your career better. So the real question is why aren't you doing it? And that's where I had to go to work on finding out the dynamics of what prevents people have an intent. If you, if you pay money, you show up at a seminar or coaching service, wherever you're going, you're paying to be in the room. You have an intention to want to grow. You don't, you, nobody shows up at a seminar to say, because I want life to get worse. They're looking to learn something to get better. And, uh, and I, I look at people and say, but you already know things you could do that would make your life better. So why did you come here to learn more about what you're not going to do? I, I would hold true for this podcast right now. You know, the, the person, you, who's listening to my voice right now, I, I don't think you just listen to this podcast because you have nothing better to do. At least I hope not. I, I think you're, you're coming here because you're looking for something that might you can take away from it that would improve your life. But you already know things to do that you could improve your life with that you're not doing. So the question isn't. Um, here's a new thing. Here's a list of new things that you can do. The question is, why aren't you doing already doing the things that you know? So maximum tension is the answer to that question. I lay it out in the book in more detail, but, but the idea is that um, when you have contradictions in the driving forces of your life and you reach maximum tension, there's no space in your life to do anything new. You're at maximum tension, and that's an area where you get stuck and then over time start to degenerate. So what is important and why philosophy is important is that you're able to identify where you're at tension, where the conflicts or contradictions are. But when you can then consciously align these things in a common direction as compared to having them in opposing directions, now you can put energy into that system called doing something new, and it will take off like a shot. So um, it's it's a it's a it's a fairly um, large concept, uh, not hard to understand, but you know it takes a little while to sort through it, and then the process of identifying these contradictions and resolving them—that's where where the richness is. Uh, I can tell you right now, most people don't. It, I'm, I'm a committed learner. I learn my entire life. I go to seminars. I teach seminars, et cetera. But what I can tell you is that most people 
need to take a step back, have an inward look, understand what their values and purposes, and make sure that everything else in their life aligns with that. When they do that, they'll have huge breakthroughs without having to learn much more. Mm. Well, this is what I love so much. Uh, you you write the way you speak. It, it really just sounds like I'm when I'm reading your book, it really actually just feels like I'm having a conversation with you. It's very uh, easy to digest, but the concepts are so, like you said, like you really, like I could take my time and mull over one chapter for a week, even though the concept is presented in a super understandable way. And something you said early on in the book that actually made me laugh out loud was when you described the hot tub experience. And I was like, oh my gosh, so much of my life is a hot tub experience. It's like the, you know, you read the thing and it's going to change your life. And then like two seconds later, it's over. So I would love for you to, this is a bit of a two-parter. I would love for you to just explain for our audience that, that uh, description that you were creating in the book. And also talk about how then you, throughout the course of the book, you have the, this system of the five Ps and how that knowledge can actually move your reading of this book from a hot tub experience into something else? Great question. I can't tell you how impressed I am by these questions. This is great. <laughs> so thank you. You guys actually read the book. This is great. So, um, <laughs> so um, the hot tub experience really um, dovetails into you know, what we were just talking about with maximum tension. So what happens is when I used to, and I, I've literally have, have spoken and presented at you know, in the thousands of, of seminars over my career, it was really a large part of my life and career has been traveling the world and, and, and presenting to live audiences, which I enjoy. And, and I don't know how to write a different way, which is why yeah, as I'm speaking, you know, organize my thinking, somehow that's got to translate onto a written page. Uh, so for me, you know, what I started to observe is that um, when I would go and speak in front of an audience, and you know the audience would be smaller, and, and there've been up to maybe eight thousand people I've had you know in an audience in front of me, and uh, when I get done, invariably people would come up and they'd be all excited, and you know they have you know notes written on on pads, and they maybe have a question or two about it, and talk about how much they got out of the presentation, et cetera, and I'd run into these people six months, a year later at another program. And they'd, and they'd say, oh, you know, I saw you back in, you know, San Diego or wherever you might have been. Uh, great. I said, well, how's it going? And they said, well, you know, about the same. So I, I would think to myself, why did I leave my home and travel to go there? And why did you spend your time and money to go there if after the experience, things are going to be about the same? And I, and I started referring to that as the jacuzzi or the hot tub experience, uh, meaning that when people would show up, they get, you know, they, they would be like going into a jacuzzi, going into a hot tub feels really good while you're sitting in it. And then you hit the button and it feels even better when the bubbles are hitting you in the right places. But then the next day it really doesn't have any impact on your life. And it was frustrating to me. And I, and I started to really search my own uh, soul and thinking saying, I, I, my purpose wasn't to be in the entertainment business. You know, I can go, I go there, they'd be entertained for the time I'm speaking, but then they go back to their lives and nothing changes. And I'm not against entertainment. I consume a lot of it, but I didn't want to be in the entertainment business. So how, you know, I, if I'm showing up and I'm going to travel and, and give these presentations, I want to see people actually shift something actually happened for them that, that made their lives better. And then simultaneously, one time I recognized, and interestingly, it was in Canada. I remember, it was, I'll never forget, it was in Toronto, Canada, and I was giving a series of programs there. And, uh, and after the first program, you know, people came back to the second program, same kind of thing, jacuzzi, how many people implemented this, how many people did this. 
you know, almost no hands went up from the last program. But then some people came up and said, you know, since that last program, uh, you know, my life has improved significantly. My business has doubled, but, you know, my relationships are better, whatever it might be. And, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. It's the same people sitting in the same room at the same time. The difference isn't me. The difference is them. What's the difference between the two that have the jacuzzi experience or the pivotal experience or the transformational experience, as we call it, where once you have that experience, your life is never the same again. It's going to, it puts you on a new path that you otherwise would not have been on. And that's what I'm always aiming at is that pivotal experience for myself and for other people. So, and, and what is the difference is that that's where I started to discover that the people who were at maximum tension and stayed stuck in maximum tension, they'd learn things that, that stimulated them or even thrilled them, but they had no space in their life to bring it to, you know, to put it into your life and have it make a difference. So that's what got me starting to work, starting to really think about the practical application of philosophy, values, purpose, how to create alignment and congruency as compared to having contradiction and incongruency. And, and when you can start to utilize that tool to start creating alignment, then the pivotal experiences and the breakthroughs start happening over and over again, but you're stuck until you get that done. So I had to start there before I could teach core material. So bad. I love how your brain thinks. And like when you talk in that, tell the story in the book of uh, that kid who asked the question and you're like, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to figure it out. And so the way that your brain goes back and like, deconstructs in order to really figure out how does the human brain work and how do we really get results or transformation? Um, there are two quotes in the book that um, I just wanted to read out loud because I love them. And I was wondering if you could address both. One I thought was like so appropriate to COVID-19, uh, this moment in time. Uh, and it says, getting to the next level of your life and your career is less about what you need to do and more about what you need to let go of. Because I think we have this time where we can all have introspection and think about our lives. I know I felt the truth of that. Ooh, what in my life wants to be let go of in order for my life to transform? And then the other one that really hit me personally was... Taking a stand is about knowing your values clearly and expressing them fully, independent of how others might judge you. Mm-hmm. And that just hit me in the heart and felt like, oh, that's exactly where I'm in my life is getting up the courage to fully articulate who I am in the world um, and letting go of what anyone else might think. And I was just wondering if you could talk to, to either of those. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you, you know, uh, I'd, I'd love to speak to those. Um, the uh, the first quote references a um, the uh, well a full module is I think the second module of a course uh, that I used to teach called the philosophy formula and the title of that um, that uh, module was letting go to rise. So what happens in life is that um, we do get stuck and uh, the the metaphor I give is that if you can imagine an infinite rope hanging down an infinite dark cylinder. And if you're holding on to that rope, you're holding on for dear life because you feel like if you let go, you'll fall, you'll drop. Um, the, uh, the irony or the paradox is that by holding on so tight, 
you can't go up, you can't rise. So you have to let go to rise. And, um, and it's a really important thing to understand. And it, what I've learned over and over again in my life to go to the next level of my life, if I wanted to go up somewhere, if I wanted to um, maybe achieve something more, achieve something different, have different experience, I couldn't do that while I was simultaneously holding on to the past. Um, and I think that lesson came most profoundly for me, uh, in my, one, one of my businesses, uh, when I was in practice, I, I developed diagnostic technologies that, uh, I got patents on. And then I ran that business for 23 years as its CEO. And when I was getting ready to sell it, it was a very, uh, um, a really challenging time. My identity was wrapped up in that business, you know, so much. I never even was conscious of it, but as, as the sale was getting close, I you know, I started to recognize, wow, I'm, I'm really disoriented here. But I realized that in order to now have a new experience in my life, to go somewhere new, to do something that I thought hopefully would be bigger and a better expansion of my purpose, I had to let go of that. Um, and I, I could give uh, I can give um, examples over and over again. But what I can tell you currently, because you, you referenced the, the COVID-19 pandemic, is that in order for us all to continue into our futures, I think the number one thing we have to let go of now is fear. I think fear is, is driving everyone. We're addicted to fear. We're addicted to the news. We're addicted. And, and it's our neurobiology sort of dictates that in the sense that we have a midbrain um, uh, mechanisms that, that, you know, limbic system that creates fight flight responses within the body. And uh, it, it was a survival mechanism, especially, you know, from, eons ago you know we needed to uh, to witness threat to understand fear fear kept us alive fear kept us you know going but it, there's a consequence to that because that was supposed to be temporary episodes you're walking through the woods and a saber-toothed tiger is going to attack you you know you need a fight flight response but it wasn't meant to live every day of your life in fear and in that particular state of, of uh, physiology and psychology so um you know one of the things i would just suggest to people now, you know, I'd ask the question, in order for you to become the person you want to become and have the experience you want to have in your life, what, what do you think you need to let go of so that can happen? Because a lot of people ask me, what, what do I need to do? I said, you're asking the wrong question, not what you need to do. It's more, the first question is what do you need to let go of? And then we can have the next, you know, we can have the, the subsequent conversation. Um, and I, I think holding on to things is the thing that prevents us from getting to the next level of our life. And there's this, there's a, there's another part of this that is kind of akin to it, which is really the central theme of the book. Um, because with what's going on right, right now, I have people coming to me saying, Oh my God, you know, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I, should I, you know, trim down my business? Should I, you know, should I shut down these things over here? Should I, you know, and all these, you know, questions about what should I be doing right now, given the pandemic and all the uncertainty and, and, you know, the, the fears that are along with that. And I say to them, you're asking me the wrong question. The, the question isn't what should you do right now? The question is who do you need to be right now? Who do you need to be as a business owner, who do you need to be as an artist? Who do you need to be as a parent? Who do you need to be as you know a um, you know a, a, a romantic partner? You know, it's 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 you know that is the first question because who you decide to be is going to dictate what you're going to do. 
And I can't tell you what to do until I know who you need to be. <laughs> and you, I can't decide that for you. You have to decide that based on your, your values, your identity, and all those things we'll be talking about. So, so letting go sounds like an easy thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that makes sense. I get that. But it's very, very difficult for people to let go. It's, you know, there's, there's uncertainty when you let go um, and other such things. So, um, so it, it's easier than it sounds, but it's absolutely critically uh, important. Uh, so uh, it does, I'm hoping that answered you know, the question about that, that particular quote. Um, and I'm so glad you identified it because I, I can tell you right now for anybody listening to our voices, um, if they left this and, and, and really um, took the question seriously, what do I need to let go of to move into my future um, and do it and, and have the future that I want? Um, if they can answer that question, the, the probability of, of achieving whatever that future is goes up by orders of magnitude, it, it, it really makes a huge difference. So you, it's a really, really great question. Um, the second, uh, remind me again, the second quote, so I make sure that I get it right. Sure. It's worth, um, it's worth rereading. <laughs> um, taking a stand is about knowing your values clearly and expressing them fully independent of how others might judge you. So this is the whole thing. Um, a lot of people are afraid of polarizing, um, you know, upsetting people. Uh, and as a result, they will compromise on their values. They will compromise on the expression of those values. Uh, as we're talking about the arts, um, I'll give you an example. One time, uh, some years ago, I went to a Broadway play and um, I was with four people. There's three, me and three other people. And we went to the play, the play was over, and it was the hot play on Broadway, you know, with the famous playwright, and this is the new thing, and so on and so forth. And we came out, and um, my friends that I was with were all excited. Oh, my God, wasn't that great? It was amazing. And, you know, they want to sound like, they sound like to me all what they were reading in the papers, what the headlines said, and, you know, et cetera. And so they were, you know, basically, and maybe they really felt that way, but it, it didn't, I wasn't getting what I thought was, um, uh, can, you know, do you, any type of unique consideration around it. It was just parroting, you know, what the trend was at the time. And personally, for me, the play, um, it, it was almost an offense to my my values, my sense of life, etc. cetera. Uh, was it well executed? Yeah. Was it well acted? Yes. Did I enjoy it? No. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, uh, so I remember that you know, I was just being quiet and my friends, you know, said, well, what did you think? You know, and, and it could have been easy to say, oh yeah, yeah, it was great. But when you do that, you go home. And as my mentor taught me, the most important judgment you'll ever place is the judgment you place upon yourself. You know, when you wake up three o'clock in the morning, how are you feeling about yourself? Not how you are when other people are around watching. And, um, I remember uh, just standing there and I looked at my friends and I said, I disagree. I, I, I didn't enjoy that play at all. I thought the subject matter was depraved and, um, you know, just was a bit of an affront to my values. And they were all like stunned and they were all like, oh, what are you? but no, no, no. This is like, you know, this, this has got the greatest reviews in the New York Times. I said, I don't care what it got in New York Times or any, what anybody else thought. You asked me what I thought. And the, the, the conclusion, and this is, again, my, my mentor, was, his work was in self-esteem. And he talked about the practice of self-assertiveness, which basically means your opinion matters. 
And I could have very easily just succumbed and kind of timidly said, no, you know, um, I, yeah, it was great. You know, yeah, I enjoyed it too. Let's go, you know, let's go have a drink or something. But I felt so good about myself for not having done that. Maybe my friends would have been offended. Maybe they would not have liked what I had to say about it, uh, you know, and, but that was going to be their issue, not mine. And uh, it doesn't mean like, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're being self-assertive is going to run to the front of the line and try to edge people out. That's not being self-assertive. Self-assertive just means that your opinion matters. And as soon as you start to practice that, your sense of self really grows. Your, your confidence really grows. Your joy in life really grows because you feel like you're, you're now expressed as compared to the true you is hiding somewhere and what people see is some limited version of that. Mm. And, and that's taking for- stand incidentally. That's why, that's why the title of the book is your stand is your brand. It's, you know, if, you, if you're not taking a stand, you don't have any brand. Nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows what to expect from you. Uh, but, you know, people, you know, like those friends now, they know that when they're getting an opinion from me, they know what I'm really thinking. Yeah, it builds so much trust. And for so many, this is one of the reasons we thought that our audience would love your book so much is that as an, as an artist, as a creative, you, you have to take a stand. Like, what is your voice here to express? What are you here to say? How are you moving the needle forward from things that haven't been seen before? So the willingness to be polarizing, the willingness to be disliked, the, the willingness to assert your opinion through writing, through whatever your instrument is 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 so so important otherwise you're just recreating something that's already been well imagine imagine an artist who creates whatever their form of art is um only thinking about what he hopes other people will like (laughs) or she hopes other people will like as compared to i mean what art becomes popular it's people that take a stand i mean if you study art history at all you know you look at people like picasso or dolly or people who just broke the rules you know i loved i think it was picasso who said you know learn learn the rules like a pro and break them like an artist and you know the the idea of saying that you know um uh i've got something to express and and if you and you really should do it for your own joy first. <laughs> and then if people happen to like it, that's great. <laughs> right. Uh, as compared to uh, just putting out what you hope is popular, but is, is not expressive of you. And, and you know, to me, that's number one, you never get noticed. And number two, you, you don't live happily. So yeah, I think artists especially have to pay attention to this. And I love in the book when you told a lot of your own personal story, I mean, we have to make you, tell the audience the story of the morning mail and the whole oh situation. My God. Um, but kind of <laughs> moving from that. And I don't know if this is um, actually what you mean by this term, but there was something about this process as I was reading your words that activated me was that so many artists we know are so scared to make the wrong move or they're scared to make a mistake or they're scared to bother someone or they're scared to not have someone like them. So they, they don't follow the, the impulse. And, and I love that as I'm listening to your story, you followed the next impulse and you followed the next impulse. And, and sometimes it felt like a disaster, but then you just moved on to the next thing. And so I loved in your story of hearing how you went 
into chiropractic work and you're super successful and, you know, more successful than maybe anyone could dream of in that world. And then you were doing something else and then you were doing something else. And then all of a sudden you're making a, a production company and you're creating documentary films and pissing so many people off by doing that and having more drive than ever to, to do that. And so I would just, I don't know if that's exactly what you meant by creative destruction, but there was something that super activated me thinking about that journey in that way. Well, this is really interesting. Um, as I as I've been doing, you know, some interviews for the book, and and uh, and I've been in front of some audiences. The uh, the last chapter of the book is called Creative Destruction, and it's about burning down, um, creatively burning down, <clears throat> and that's why I've had these varying uh, I call them varying acts of my career: Act One, Act Two, Act Three, and now Act Four. Um, is that you know it's it's having to let go of what you were before, how you might self-identify with that, et cetera, and then kind of moving into something new. And, you know, and some people might be extremely happy having a career through their entire life of doing the exact same thing. There's nothing wrong or right about that. It's just, it's just but tuning into who you are and seeing, is that right for you or not? See, some people will do the same thing for 40 years, but they didn't do it because they loved it. They did it because they were afraid of just, you know, trying anything else or, or you know, becoming anything else. And it might have been because of what their mothers, fathers, teachers, preachers told them when they were young. That's still playing in their head, which has formed their philosophy, their, their self-identity. And, and as a result, they don't really feel like uh, that they, they even have the disposition or the ability to try to do something else that maybe might be more in their heart. So, um in this particular case, uh, you're exactly right. I mean, you might, know, sometimes, uh, you know, one of the things, I don't know if I wrote this in the book, but you know, one of the things I say is that, um, and this is back to kind of that letting go thing. Uh, sometimes in life you have to make things happen. Sometimes in life you have to let things happen. And, and the master of life knows when to do which. And, uh, and, and that's been like, uh, especially much more now, I'm much more in, I let things happen a lot more now rather than try to force things into existence. There is time for action, but sometimes there's time to just create space and, and let things emerge without having to try to force things to happen because that can get pretty brutal and ugly sometimes. So, um, you know, it, so in the morning mail, uh, <laughs> you know, this is a, a lot of people who know me don't have no clue about this thing that and I probably maybe lament the fact I put it in the book. But, uh, you know, so, I, you know, I was when I was going through chiropractic school, I was working um, in print and working in, uh, you know, doing acting, mostly TV commercials. I, I did do like one movie thing. Um, but um, and I, I was a horrible actor. I mean, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I look back now and I realize, you know, it was, it was certainly fun, but I, I certainly was not a, a core competency for me. And um, I, uh, so what happened was, uh, you know, I had headshots and, and, you know, portfolio and so on, you know, from all this stuff. And when I got out of school, I was getting ready to practice. Uh, my mother, uh, un, un, you know, unbeknownst to me, took my headshot and sent it into the morning show with Regis Philbin, you know, People might remember when Regis Philbin was on TV and it was a very, very popular show because they're having this thing called the morning mail contest, which they were going to pick 10 people from, you know, that from these pictures that were sent in by the audience uh, to appear um, on the show. And I got picked as one of the 10. You know, my mother called me. I I thought she was left. I thought she was crying. I thought somebody died. And she said, you're not going to believe this. And so next thing you know, I'm on a plane to New York, uh, you know, to ABC studios on, um, on Columbus. And, um, we've got to come out in front of this celebrity panel in a tuxedo and a bathing suit. 
And, uh, and, and I'm talking about, you know, a, a speedo type bathing suit. I'm, I'm so embarrassed by this. I can't even tell you. Um, so, uh, and you know, the celebrity panel was like, a, if you remember Morgan Fairchild and, and Jerry Ford from Ford modeling and, and the famous photographer who I became really good friends with actually Francesco Scapulo, who since passed, um, you know, who was the big fashion guy and, um, and some other people. So, uh, the, the, the story longer story longer is that, um, I ended up, uh, winning this contest. Uh, so next thing you know, I've got agents calling me, I've got scripts in my hands and I'm like, you know, my whole, everything is like this, it came out of nowhere. Um, so that's where I was, uh, you know, suddenly I moved into New York city, I get an apartment, I'm, t- I'm going to an acting class every day and I'm, I'm, you know, doing all this stuff and reading for these varying, you know, parts and, and, um, and then I, I went to Scavulo's studio to, uh, you know, because he was shooting a poster of me for ABC, which was a part of what, you know, the prize was. And um, and then it, as it turns out, and it's funny how life can be like this, um, Scavulo, because ABC came to send a film crew, shot the shoot, you know, and then filmed it and they were going to show it on, on the show. And then uh, then he did the real shoot. And I saw him holding his neck. He was having all kinds of problems. And I said, you want me, you know, I'm a chiropractor. You want me to check this out? And, and anyway, he lived in a, uh, you know, a brownstone in New York. He owned the whole thing. And uh, he said, yeah, he had a massage table. So, so I went upstairs, I adjusted him and he literally was in tears because he felt, he said, I haven't felt this good in 20 years. Plus, will you please come back? So I was there in his studio. None of this is in the book, but I, I was in his studio like three times a week at, you know, uh, while I was living in New York and I take care of him and he was always shooting somebody famous. You know, I mean, I'd walk in there and to who anybody famous. I ended up adjusting a lot of pretty famous people um, and, and meeting, you know, and actually, you know, uh, making some, uh, you know, creating relationships with some, some pretty influential people. And of course I was 24, 25 years old at the time, you know, so I, was, I was a little bit starstruck. So, um, but what happened in this, so I do talk about the book is one day on my way to acting class, I get hit by a truck, <laughs> literally on my bicycle and um, brought to a hospital, leg broken, head injury, all kinds of stuff. And I remember laying in my apartment, like, you know, I'm laid up. I can't go anywhere. I can't. So I was getting pretty depressed. And, and this is where uh, what's interesting is when I had time to reflect, a couple of things happened. Number one, um, I had uh, recognized what the hell am I doing? This is not, you know, I'm way off my purpose. My purpose, I, I was on a trek. I went to school. I did all these things. And next thing you know, I just took this left turn and got caught up in it without really giving it enough consideration. It just seemed exciting. But number two, um, it also, because of this, uh, a friend brought me a book, uh, w- which was The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And that's what started me. That's what got me started my path to, uh, to studying philosophy and understanding it. So it took a truck to hit me to literally wake me up and to say, OK, kid, you're, you're, you're off track here. Uh, and and I, I, I asked for milder reminders you know, in the future, but you know, this time it, it was going to take a proverbial truck to, to knock me off this track because I was, I was way too into it and I was blinded by it. So, um, so in the end, you know, the, the outcome is that, uh, you know, like I wouldn't trade it for anything now. It turned out to be one, one of the greatest blessings of my life. It completely disrupted what I was doing, caused me to change course and put me on a path to, you know, you know the rest of my life, which was an important thing for me. So, um, that was kind of a four that was, I wouldn't call that creative destruction. That was, that was getting hit by a truck destruction. Creative destruction is when you make the choice <laughs> and you're saying it's time to burn it all down, right? It's time to say that, um, in order, uh, I'm a, you know, I, I use the, it's the, it's the metaphor of the Phoenix, right? 
Um, and I think it's, it's a really beautiful metaphor because you have, you know, this Phoenix that dips down, you know, literally dives into the flames, burns down and until something more beautiful can emerge. And it's an over and over again, iterative process down into the flames and burn it all down. So that something more beautifully emerge. And um, I believe that it's, it's incumbent upon us in our lives to, to do that and, and to actually do it voluntarily. That's how you can end up doing things that you can't expect because you're willing to burn it all down. So for me, uh, I, have a, I have a really good, uh, really committed meditation practice. And um, for about a year between my, you know, what I used to do and what I'm doing now, I, I would go into meditation in the morning and I would see or sense if sees not the right word, but I sense a, literally a bonfire burning from like the base of my neck down to my pelvis. My whole body was on fire. And I, I, I I've had enough of uh, a practice in my life to not freak out. And I go with, what is that? You know, where I just, I knew on a deep sense, just let it burn, keep letting it burn. It took about a year that it finally burned all the way down. And I realized what was burning down was my sense of identity, that, that this old sense of me, this guy that's on the platforms that, you know, has got the you know, adoration of these people all over the world and has this certain public persona. Um, it needed to be let go of. And, and it had to burn all the way down so some new version of me could emerge. Um, and, and that new version of me had maybe different ideas about what to do in my life and what I wanted to achieve or what I wanted to experience, really. And uh, had much more to do with fulfillment, a lot less to do about significance. And there's a, a lot, I, I think I tell a lot of story about this in the book, but um, there's, you know, it's, it's a fairly deep spiritual journey. Uh, but and people would say, what's the relationship between business and spirituality? Uh, business can and should be one of the most spiritual things a human being can, can ever endeavor into if you're doing business right. There's a soul of a business. There are values in that business. There's a purpose for that business. And one of the things I'm proud of is that my businesses that I've sold along the way, some of them well over 20 years ago, those businesses are still there, still serving people. Because even though I gave the business life, if you will, it had its own values, its own purpose, and that purpose continues to be expressed, even though I'm not there anymore. So, um, so creative destruction, I think, is really important, and I think it's what people are going through right now. Uh, this is an opportunity. This COVID nineteen thing is, of course, I'm not, uh, I'm mindful of, of the struggle and the suffering and the people who are dislocated, the jobs that are lost, the economy coming to a halt, the, the health threats, you know, and, and what people are experiencing all along those things. But there's a beauty in it if you look for it, um, because it's causing people to pause, to take stock, to reflect. And um, I think as individuals, we can talk about what do we need to burn down now in our lives so that something better can emerge into this future. So it's a time that if you ever were going to take a step back and reflect and, and maybe consider who you're being and maybe or what, you know, how you need to show up or maybe what things need to change in your life. And if there's certain things that you want to burn down um, so that you can have something more beautiful emerge, I think uh, there's never been a reset like this in, you know, in, the, in, in the modern history of humanity, at least. And now it's a really good time to reflect upon that. Thank you so much. It's, it's been such a, an honor to have you on our show and also a real profound privilege to read your book and to let them let your, what you're saying in the book really have this beautiful effect on us 
So, so thank you for this gift and, and, and the work that you've done so that you can put this gift into the world. Um, how can our audience find you? How can they connect with you? Uh, they can get on uh, Amazon or go to their favorite site where they like to buy books and buy your book. Um, and also. Yeah. So, yeah. So if, the best way right now is to go to gentempo.com. Um, and, uh, and right now, uh, we just have a lot of stuff there about the book and some other things. As a matter of fact, if you buy the book, if you go there and put in your, um, your order number and email, we have bonuses that will send you some videos of a live presentation I gave and, and some audios and transcripts and so on, uh, that are free. Um, and you, and it's, and I have links there to like Barnes and Noble and Amazon and all the booksellers there. Uh, if you want, if that's easy enough. Um, and from there we will be, we're adding, um, things we're building out right now, uh, creating a concept called stand takers. Uh, Cause once people read this book, you know, now the question is what's the stand that you're going to take. And we want people to be able to share their stands. Um, any big, small and different, you know, they just, they just really, I think if, if we can build a community of stand takers, what you're standing for, I believe that uh, it would be a really special community um, to, to connect with. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. That will be coming. And then, um, and then also uh, we have our, uh, you know, we're working on our nonprofit area, which is called enlivenedhumanity.org. Again, it's under construction right now. But really, every, all my actions today, uh, everything that we're doing, and I say we, my wife and I, we're doing this. Uh, we have this concept of enlivened humanity, which is really our core value, our, our, you know, our, our purpose, kind of our catalyzing statement. And, um, and there's things that we want to do, especially now given you know, the predicament of the world, that, that we feel um, we, we need to create more connection, not less. Um, and uh, it's like it's connection, not infection. You know, um, mm. that's, that's what we should be standing for right now. Uh, so I, I think there'll be some things there that people might be inspired by that uh, they can be on the lookout for. Oh, Patrick, thank you so much. It's been such an honor. Again, for our audience, the book is Your Stand is Your Brand. And we both have been devouring it and texting each other in the morning about what we're learning. And it's just been such a great journey. So we would encourage you to to read it in community, to read it in our community, to share with each other, and to go and join uh, Patrick's programs. And uh, we thank you so very much. It's been such a gift. And uh, we can't wait to hear more from you. It's been it's been a real pleasure. So thank you so much uh, for your for your interest. Uh, and uh, there's uh, you you two probably already know this, but there's there's definitely a, a special dynamic between you. Um, and uh, th- those things um, are rare when you see two people who just are in sync with each other, uh, very different in character, but very aligned in in the. the the way they want to operate in the world. So I congratulate you for that and, and just look for ways to continue to, uh, you know, express, uh, in the world together as the two of you do. This is, this is a wonderful experience. You guys work really well together and I, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. We love you and we love each other. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks friends. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. We love to feel like we have friends all over the world in you who are committed to doing their dream on the planet. And if you like this podcast and you want to find out more about what we're doing or who we are, our pop-up classes, our online classes, you can check all of that out at thecreateseries.com. And if you want to be part of our Facebook community, you can go to the Create Community page. That's C, period, R, period, E, period, A, period, T, period, E, period, community. And if you loved this podcast, why not share it with a friend?